This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. It's that time, NFL Friday, Week 7 edition. Glad to be joining you. Vinny DeBellis, joined by David Spampanato and Artemis Segaris. How are you guys doing? Good. Can't complain. Nice slate of games this week. Yeah, pretty good. So yesterday night, we have to get into it a little bit, even though it was not a an aesthetically pleasing game or too much of an interesting game. The Broncos just tore apart the Cardinals, 45-10. to 10. Um, not, not much of an offensive game. Unfortunately, I was going up against Broncos D in fantasy, which mm. put, put me in a hole to begin with. I think they had two touchdowns, so my, my fantasy forecast not looking too good. But the Broncos D was looking good. And Cardinals not looking too good. Uh, maybe the worst team in the NFL is that fair to say about the Cardinals? Um, yeah, roster wise, I mean, they at the end of the season we could look up and the Giants could be worse. Oh. But but talent wise, I think if they were to go head to head, the Giants would would beat them. But we'll see at the end of the season. But I would agree with that. Cardinals are probably basement of the league right now. Well, if we're talking roster wise, I think the Cardinals would definitely be worse than the Giants. I think the Giants have a pretty solid roster, but the Cardinals last night were just horrible. Yeah, Josh Rosen's stat line, one touchdown with three interceptions, and he doesn't have much to work with. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is a is a straight-up vet legend, but the, the Cardinals team around him is not that great, and he's sort of suffering from what I think is a rookie quarterback thrown into the mix too quickly. And look, it's a blessing and a curse at the depending on what position you're in. If, if you're a guy like Darnold, who is, is maybe a little more ready, has some more tools and a better team around him, you could do really well. But Rosen, you'd assume he's learning a little bit, but it can be tough to just get beat up week after week in your first year in the NFL. I was kind of thinking about this last night a little bit because you see Darnold succeeding because there's something around him to start. And now, I mean, I don't want to bring in the, the Giants too much into this and bring them up again, but... Everyone's calling for them to draft a quarterback, right? But this is just such an un- incomplete team. You know, their line is not together, and that's what you have in Arizona because they see that quarterback on the board. They say, yeah, we need a quarterback, but the rest of that team is just a mess, and they're just not putting him in a position to succeed. Yeah, if the Giants were to draft a quarterback next year, I'm scared that they would turn out like the Cardinals are this year. Just, you know, even though they have a brand-new rookie quarterback who's supposed to be really good because the line around him and the team around him isn't up to par, I think they're just going to fall. Yeah, with the Giants, I think it's it's safe to say that that first-round draft pick is pr- probably going to be pretty high, but I don't want to write them off too, too early in the year. But I, I think a quarterback or a lineman, depending on who's up there, I know some people have said that this year's quarterback class is not the strongest. Maybe you wait for uh, Tua from Alabama, but that's going to be in two years. Um, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, people are excited about him. But that's looking sort of t- too far down the road here. On, on the other end of that Thursday night game, was the Denver Broncos, who were who a re- really interesting team at 3-4 and four this year. And they could have a performance like last night, but then they could also come up flat like they did against the Jets a few weeks ago. Almost knocked off the Chiefs on Monday Night Football the week before that. And it's just, like a lot of teams in the NFL this year, you don't know which Denver Broncos you're getting, but there's no question that they're a dangerous team. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I think this is a team that, that could make some noise and could shake some, shake some things up in the AFC West. But like you said, I mean, they tend to play down to teams at times. I don't think that they're convinced that they're as good as they really are, you know, because this is a team that a couple of years ago was a perennial playoff team, right? And they, 
it's not like they had great quarterback play or anything like that from Peyton Manning. They were just strong defensively and had good enough weapons to get by. That's not exactly the same story as they've gotten older and some of those guys have phased out through the years. You know, that, that really strong defense with Elvis Dumerville and um, I'm blanking on a couple other names. But, you know, that Tlaib, was, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Aqib Tlaib was there. Um, and they've just kind of faded out. But you still have Von Miller. You still have pretty good weapons. Philip Lindsay's been a nice back for mm. them. Um, and they could be okay. They, I don't know if they're necessarily going to sneak in the playoffs, but with the AFC, you really don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but like you said, with the players that they have, like Von Miller, who had possibly one of the best games in his career, and Philip Lindsay, who's been making big plays for a few weeks, I, I think that we can't eliminate them out of the running yet. I think they're definitely still there, and they might they might surprise us all. Yeah, and to pair with Lindsay there in the backfield, Royce Freeman, also a nice back, sort of split carries there. Yesterday, almost identical in terms of uh, Lindsey had 14 carries, Freeman 13, but Lindsey did a lot more with his carries, rushing for 90 yards. So it's it's safe to say the Broncos can beat, uh, beat really good teams, but as you guys both said, also play down to their opponents. Uh, moving away from the Thursday night game yesterday, I'm just wondering what if there's ha- had to be one game, aside from the Jets game or the Giants game this week, that you guys have circled as game of the week, you, you could tab it, what, what would that be? Pat, to put Pat's you guys Bears. On. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I thought that there was a possibility that that the Sunday night game could get flexed out this week because I think this is a really intriguing matchup. I mean, you have Kansas City and Cincinnati and Sunday night football. I mean, good records, two good teams, and I think it's a nice matchup with Kansas City playing in primetime two weeks in a row. And I mean, everyone loves this team, but mm-hmm. but you have New England where I mean they're they're a really, really good team and they'll probably be top of the AFC, but and then you have Chicago who's this defense that is I mean, everyone seems to be talking about it. You know, it's really impressive and I think it's a nice matchup. I'm actually really excited for the Cowboys Redskins game. Not only is it a division game, but it's also kind of this um they're fighting for first in the NFC East. So I think between those teams it could get really ugly but also be a really good game. Yeah, Cowboys, Redskins, that's always going to be a, a hyped-up game, especially the, the way the NFC East has been this year. It's super unpredictable. That Bears, uh, The Bears-Pats game is, is interesting to me as well just because, you know, you got to give the Bears management credit going into this year. The rest of the NFL is sort of thinking this is a rebuild team that's not quite ready to compete. Uh, a quarterback who's a year or two into to everything – they go out and get Khalil Mack, and everybody's sort of scratching their head. I know I was, mm-hmm. and they're out here maybe as the favorite in the uh, NFC North at this point, which is t- totally yeah. shocking to me. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy Sullivan, our producer, just informed me that Rams 49ers was the original Sunday night game, and that got mm-hmm. flexed out for Bengals Chiefs instead of Patriots Bears. So, wow. I mean, I when I looked at the slate, I wasn't even looking at Kansas City, Cincinnati, maybe just because of the markets that they're in and things like that, but... Yeah, I mean, it happened, like, all right before the season. Everyone kind of wrote off the Bears. was like, yeah, they'll just come in last, you know, because the Vikings are so good, the Packers are so good. Matthew Stafford could take the Lions to a pretty good spot, but they just kind of got wrote off, and then they get Khalil Mack. You see them on Monday Night Football against the Patriots, and you're like, okay, this is this is a good product we have here. And Mitch Trubisky is a nice quarterback. Yeah, just playing way ahead of his years. I didn't expect him to develop this quickly or really develop at all. I know a lot of people, they, they got heat for trading up and taking him as, as highly as they did. The game that I have circled this week, this is a bit of a safe pick, but that Bengals-Chiefs game that mm-hmm. you alluded to, the Bengals have been a huge surprise. I mean, t- both teams have been really good surprises. I'm I'm too high on KC right now. I know it, that they're going to end up disappointing me, but 
I think it's going to be a great game, especially uh, the, the way Kansas City really challenged New England in Foxborough last week. That, that impressed me, even though they couldn't come up with the win. I think the Chiefs, uh, I'm, I'm not going to give picks yet. I almost got tricked myself into taking <laughs> one here. But uh, I expect a shootout there, and I expect a really high-level game in that one. How much do you like Mahomes? Like, where would you rank him right now Oof. among quarterbacks? Oh, man. Uh, like, for, right, for this season alone. Like, take out any kind of accomplishments they have this season. Uh, sixth, maybe, maybe okay. sixth in the NFL. Although I think he might be the favorite to to win the MVP. And I, lo- in terms of fantasy, he might be number one for me. But if we're ranking quarterbacks, it, it's too much. I can't disrespect a Breeze like that yeah. or Brady or Rogers as much as they maybe haven't been at, at their all time highest level. I, I guess I'd I'd put him six, and I'm sort of blanking on who's at that fourth or fifth spot. But that's uh, around where I'd have him. Where would you have him? Uh, probably around the same place. I mean. Going off of this season alone, I think he's a pretty solid quarterback, and the Chiefs have a pretty good record. I th- are they undefeated or one loss, one loss? last one week? Loss. New England, yeah, right. They've had one loss, and like you said, like we can't put all our bets in yet because I feel like the Chiefs start off really strong and then just kind of disintegrate towards the end of the season. I mean, last year was a prime example of that, uh, but so far so good, and I think he would be around a number six quarterback. Yeah, Mahomes, so much fun to watch, and you got to credit Andy Reid and also the tools he has around him, just just some great tools in Tyreek Hill, uh, Kareem Hunt, re- really talented Chiefs offense, and yeah, well, so we'll see where we pick that game later in the Pick'em segment, but now it's time to get into our first fantasy hit, followed by Jets Report this week, and then we'll get into some Jets talk, but first, fantasy time with John DeBarrow. Who are some of the safest bets in fantasy this week? Here are the players our expert thinks you must start if you're looking to win your matchup. Rams quarterback Jared Goff draws a promising matchup versus a 49ers defense that ranks in the bottom half of the league in passing yards and is coming off a short week. Goff's last two performances have been subpar, but they came in two tough road environments in Seattle and Denver. The Rams may be on the road again, but a return to familiar California should get Goff and the Rams offense back on track. Since returning from knee surgery, Bengals running back Joe Mixon has scored just under 40 fantasy points on 40 touches in his last two starts. With the injury behind him and backfield mate Gio Bernard still sidelined with the sprained MCL, Mixon will be busy against a terrible Chiefs defense on Sunday night. And though we haven't seen the bump in production we expected when Baker Mayfield took over the offense, Browns receiver Jarvis Landry will have a great opportunity this weekend to put up points against a Tampa Bay defense that yields the second most fantasy points per game to receivers. And those are your surefire starters for Week 7. Thank you, John, for the fantasy studs. We'll get into the duds and sleepers later, but now it's time for this week's Jets report. Over the course of just a few weeks, the narrative of the Jets' 2018 season has shifted dramatically. The Jets' offense has looked the best that it's looked in years over the past two home wins in which Gang Green scored a combined 76 points. Jason Myers nailed a franchise record seven field goals last week, and Sam Darnold has gotten more comfortable throwing to receivers other than Quincy Anunua. Darnold will need to build on those connections since Anunua is sidelined three to four weeks with a high ankle sprain. The Jets' secondary is banged up as well with Marcus May out three to four weeks with a broken thumb, while Buster Screen and Tremaine Johnson are both listed as questionable. Head coach Todd Bowles knows how important a strong defensive effort will be for the Jets this week. 
based on the high praise he had for Vikings QB Kirk Cousins on Wednesday. Well, he can beat you a lot of different ways. He can beat you with his brain. He runs better than people think, and he can pull the ball down and run. He's very accurate, deep ball and short ball. He's a good football player. It's no secret that Cousins was a top target for the Jets this past offseason before he signed with Minnesota. And Bowles was asked what things might be like right now had the Jets landed Cousins. I don't really look back and see. Either you get him or you don't. We didn't have him. We're happy with Sam. I'm sure they're happy with Kirk. The matchup to watch on Sunday will be Minnesota's dynamic aerial threats and Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs going up against the compromised Jets secondary. I see Minnesota winning that matchup, which means the Jets offense will have to produce the way they have the past two weeks. The Vikings are the 10th ranked run defense in the league and 20th against the pass in terms of yards allowed. With that being said, the Jets should still look to involve Crowell and Powell based on the success the tandem had a few weeks back against Denver. The question is whether Crowell's ankle will hold up. He sat out of practice on Thursday. I'm feeling another shootout in the Meadowlands, and I think the Jets will do just enough to keep rolling. Give me the Jets 31, Vikings 30. Covering the... For WFUV Sports, I'm Vinny DeBellis. Maybe a curse there that I, I picked the Jets. I know normally when I pick them, they do the exact opposite of, uh, yeah, it, it seems like it's that, been that type of season, just how unpredictable the, the league has been. But uh, Minnesota favored by three and a half here. This is the first time I'm seeing the line on the game. Um, I, I guess that's a, about fair, seeing that the Vikings, I guess, headed into the season, the expectations were a lot higher than the Jets. And if they're playing at their best, I think they're better than the Jets playing at their best. The question is whether we'll see that Minnesota team or whether we'll see the team that came out super flat against the Bills a few weeks back. Yeah, I don't think the Vikings have quite found their identity yet this year. And I think that's an underrated aspect of football in particular, just because in other sports, maybe baseball, for example, like you can kind of start off like we saw like with Milwaukee this year. Like they were like, okay, like what do we know about this team? Not a lot. It's their first time playing together. And they have so much time to figure these things out, right? Like if you if you're in June and you're sitting five to ten games below five hundred, you're not too concerned. But in the NFL, you don't have that kind of luxury. You don't have the time to go and figure that out. And I think Minnesota is beginning to struggle with that. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if the Jets can take them this week. But I don't know. Minnesota's just too talented in my eyes. I actually don't know who I would say would win this game because I do think that the Vikings could beat the Jets, but um, from the last 10 times they've played each other, the Jets have won eight times. And I know it was a while, like, they've played each other over the past, they've played each other since 1970, and they've only played 10 times. So, of course, that was a very different time then. But the Jets have won eight times, and we do kind of have to give them credit for that. And will the Vikings crumble under them? I mean, they might. They, I do think they have one of the best defensive lines in the league, um, and I'm not sure if Sam Darnold will be able to perform well against that. Yeah, that's an interesting stat about the last 10 meetings. I would not have guessed. If, if, if I had to guess on that, I probably would have said Vikings 6-4, and four, Vikings 7-3, and three, due to just how, I guess, exaggerated the Jets' woes have been over the years. But there, there have been some good teams in there as well. Um, yeah, but for the, the Vikings, I think offensively one thing they've struggled with is just getting a consistent running game this year. And because of how dynamic Cousins is, it, it's not the end of the world that Dalvin Cook hasn't really been, been what they expected him to be. Um, so some injury issues there. But 
you know, with with the with the Jets, I I think it's an interesting point you you bring up also. Minnesota's defensive line against a, a rookie quarterback. You got a lot of vets on the Vikings team, even they, though they haven't played up to expectations this year. I think they definitely will rattle Darnold throughout the game. Yeah, and I mean this is. Sheldon Richardson's first game back against the Jets, I believe against the Jets. He was with Seattle at points last mm. year. Um, yeah, and I think he might try to come out with a bit of a vengeance. You know, I mean, him and Todd Bowles kind of clashed heads at times. There were times where he wouldn't play because of a coach's decision, and Bowles would insist yeah. that it was the coach's <laughs> decision and wouldn't give you any single bit of information on why he wasn't playing that week. But um, I think that'll be an intriguing matchup up, um, up front. I mean, last week... You look at what the Jets did. I mean, yes, they took home a win, but a lot of those plays need to be executed for the Jets. And I think that's going to be what it's going to come down to this week. You can't kick seven field goals and expect to beat Minnesota. You have to execute. You have to score. You have to get in the end zone. So in order for the Jets to win, I think they're going to have to play similar to what they did last week against Denver, which is going to be tougher against a better defense. And they need to cash in on some of those opportunities. But I think Bulls will have a different approach, and I think they could be successful in in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm really on the fence about these two teams. They're both kind of evenly matched in records. I mean, the Jets are 3-3 three and three and the Vikings are 3-2-1. and one. Um, So they're pretty evenly matched, and they both have good players on each of their teams. I mean, the Jets have a lot more injuries than the Vikings this week, but... I don't think the injuries are going to make or break either team. Uh, I mean, the Vikings have uh, Adam Thielen, who's had 100-plus yards receiving in the first six games, and they have Stefan Diggs, and they're just going to utilize them to the best of their abilities. So I think it's going to be a pretty evenly matched matchup. Yeah, Thielen, probably the most consistent receiver throughout this season so far and I know a lot of people sort of predicted to him to have a bit of a regression this year but I think over 100 yards in pretty much every game so far so that's I mean he's he's so dynamic and one of the, one of the things Bowles was saying yesterday is normally when you're facing uh, or preparing for opposing receiving threats you have a guy who can beat you long or a guy who's just dynamic as off a screen or something and, and has quick foot speed real quick but these guys Diggs and Thielen, they can both do so many different things that you have to prepare for them as if they're multiple players, you know? Um, so, no, I think that's a yeah. good way of looking at it because you kind of look at a receiving core and you're like, okay, we have the six-foot dynamic receiver with ridiculous hands and mm. he can fly. And then you say, how can we complement that? And you go get the six-foot-five red zone threat. And then you say, how can we complement that? And then you get the five-nine gritty guy that's going to catch eight-yard slants and get popped over West the middle. Walker. Exactly. Okay. And you're going to work those guys off of each other. But I kind of like the dynamic that Diggs and um, Thalen have to where they're similar. They're 6'2", 6'3". They can go deep. They can go across the middle. They can take hits. And they're not going to drop the ball. So I like that little combination they have there. I think the Jets maybe have the potential to do the same with Anunwa and Robinson if they can complete their games a little bit more. But I think the Jets have something decent brewing right there with those two guys in comparison to Diggs and Thalen. And one point that you brought up earlier about just the Jets executing in the red zone, kicking seven field goals last week. Yeah, it's great that they made all seven field goals, but you can't expect to do that every weekend. Darnold needs to be better in, in the red zone, and I know he's he's made some strides already, 
just from his all-around game, but that is one area he needs to improve upon, and the field shrinks when that happens. If, if he has 80 yards to work with and Robbie Anderson goes long and he, and he hits him, that's a different sort of skill to execute as opposed to having 10 yards to work with and everybody's packed in. You have to be more precise and uh, maybe a little bit more conservative in the red zone, but th- that, that'll come with time. I think if Isaiah Crowell is healthy, that, that plays such a big role just because of how great he was two, two weeks ago against the Broncos, over 200 yards rushing. He was really dynamic. So Crowell's status, I think, is also a big indicator as to how well the Jets will do this week. What was your preseason pick for them, for the Jets? In terms of overall record? Yeah. Um, seven and nine, maybe, okay. I think I had him at, which I, I could be on track for that. I wanted to be, I, I wanted to pick like a seven, nine and seven, but I thought that was too too optimistic considering they have a pretty tough schedule, I feel like, even though some of these teams haven't panned out. Still got to play the Pats twice, mm-hmm. which is tough. But 7-9, and nine, I think, with a rookie quarterback and all the moving parts on this team, I, I think fans would be would be happy with that in a transition year. Have you let go of that? That seven? Because I'm, no, I'm kind of nine. still ha- hanging on. Because I was 10-6, and six, so I'm looking horrible right That's now. That's looking mathematically impossible pretty For soon. For the Giants, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I'm still hanging on, so... I, I don't want to get into my preseason picks for anything with the Giants at this point. <laughs> the one thing they'll need if the, that is going to happen is a win this Monday against the Falcons, sort of battle for the bottom there, two teams that have disappointed, Giants at 1-5 and five, and then the Falcons at 2-4. and four. And we'll we'll get into that and break down that matchup and just how Atlanta, it's been a downward spiral. Both of these teams, since the end of the 2016 season, sort of both on top, the Falcons getting to the Super Bowl, the Giants – with uh, a, a very impressive 2016 team, and it's been all downhill since then for both of these squads. So we'll break that, that matchup down and talk all things Giants. We have David's uh, Giants report coming up, but first it's time for our second fantasy hit with John DeBarrow. Predicting this week's fantasy duds is just as important as picking this week's fantasy studs. Here's who our expert thinks you should sit this week. Matthew Stafford is typically a sure bet for big numbers. But that isn't always the case on the road. Stafford has scored less than 16 fantasy points in 8 of his last 12 road games. Now the Lions are in Miami this weekend and face a Dolphins defense that has surrendered the 7th least amount of fantasy points to quarterbacks this year. Jets running back Isaiah Crowell has had some big games this season, but his inconsistency and a tough matchup against a Vikings defense allowing under 4 yards a carry make him a risky play this week. Crowell has scored less than 77 fantasy points in half of his games this season. Expect a similar performance this Sunday. I already advise that you should sit Matthew Stafford, and I'd sit his receiver Marvin Jones as well. Jones is talented, but has been relegated to the third option in Detroit's passing game behind Golden Tate and the explosive Kenny Galladay. It doesn't help that the Dolphins' secondary has yielded the seventh fewest catches and just two touchdowns to wideouts this season. And those are some guys you should steer clear of this week in fantasy. Thank you, John, for the duds. And now it's time for David Spampanato's Giants Report, Week 7 Giants Report. Despite the 1-5 record, the Giants still managed to make headlines, and for all the wrong reasons. The Odell Beckham drama continues to swirl around the media, and it's not going away. The man who writes Beckham's checks gave his thoughts on the saga this week. I wish he would 
create the headlines by his play on the field as opposed to what he says and does off the field. I think he needs to do a little more playing, a little less talking. While John Mara's comments are totally in line, everything an owner says will be overblown. The Giants organization hasn't held Beckham accountable for the last five years, and at this point, it's too late to start doing so. On the field, Big Blue is looking to salvage what's left of 2018, and that starts on Monday Night Football against the Falcons. Eli Manning believes this week is a great opportunity to get hot, and Pat Shermer has been confident that this team is still building something great. It's hard to believe when you look at the way the Giants have played this year, but this week's matchup against Atlanta does not overmatch the G-Men. The Falcons' run defense ranks 24th in the league, and it will open up a lot of opportunities for Saquon Barkley to have a big night. The Falcons' defensive backs will have their hands tied preparing a game plan to stop Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram, regardless of Eli Manning's shortcomings. Much like the Giants, the Falcons have struggled in red zone situations and can't seem to find their superstar wide receiver in the end zone. With Big Blue at full strength on the defensive side of the ball, containing the Falcons' offense will be a task they're capable of tackling. On the medical side, Evan Ingram and Olivier Vernon will be active, and Nate Soldier is questionable as he was a limited participant in practice on Friday. I'm going to stay optimistic for what 2018 still has in store. Giants improved to 2-5 with a 23-16 win over Atlanta. Covering Big Blue, I'm David Spampanato, WFUV Sports. So Giants Falcons Monday night football, whole country watching. Giants at one and five, Falcons two and four. It's it seems like it's do or die, or it's been do or die for a few weeks now for both of these teams. I'll defer to you in terms of what specifically to look for in this matchup. Yeah, um, I, I might be a little crazy thinking the Giants are going to win again because I mean I think I've been wrong almost every week. Oh man, no, I picked them to lose against Carolina. I, I don't know, but it's I've just stuff. I've just been yeah. yeah I, it's not easy, especially with this team. I mean, there was such a question mark going into it, but I like the matchup, you know, because Atlanta doesn't defend the run well, and I think if the Giants and Pat Shermer can show the ability to get the ball quickly to Odell quickly and efficiently, because let's be real, we're not going over the top. They're not going to do it. Um, it's not setting up Eli in a position to succeed. Succeed, even though. He already has not been in a position to succeed, despite the fact that he's not going over the top. So it, it's tough when you're working with Eli and, and what his ability is at the quarterback position. But I, I think the I think Saquon and, and the Giants will be able to run will be able to run a good amount on Atlanta and and come back with a win. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. And I mean, I want to say that the Giants could win this game, but I really think it could go either way because they're both two pretty bad teams going up against each other I think it really could go either way uh the Giants the offensive line I think we could all agree just has to do better at protecting Eli Manning I mean he got sacked so much last week he's gotten so sacked so much this season and he just has to be more protected and but I will say he's had more attempts and completions than Matt Ryan and I think that might work better in the Giants favor yeah, it, it seemed like rock bottom last week for for the Giants. Just he he didn't get great protection. You're right about that. But the time the times he did, 
I thought he was pretty inaccurate, and I was one who was supporting Eli, and I said on this show two weeks ago that it, he, you know, he, he can still play quarterback. He was really impressive against the Texans, and you know, I, I saw one of your takes on Twitter last week. You said after the game, Eli Manning can still play quarterback. He can still be a co- good quarterback for the New York Giants, and that, that, that shocked me a little bit because I was, you know, I, I'm off the Eli bandwagon at this point. I think it's time for, for a new quarterback. Are, are you still sticking with that? You think Eli can be a good, good QB? Yeah, I'm going to stick with that because I feel like we won't know the like his full abilities until the offensive line gets it together because if they could get it together and be more consistent week to week then we could see what Eli has if they're protecting him better and giving him enough time consistently each week and he's still not completing and he's still not doing what he's supposed to be doing then I think that we'll have to look into seriously look into getting another quarterback but what you said about like the times the offensive line did give him coverage last week while that is true like I said it wasn't consistent so he's always going to be looking around him trying to make sure that he's not going to get sacked from behind or that no one's going to sneak up on him and if if he gets more consistent coverage I do think he could come back here's the problem though in my eyes is the Giants offensive line good no but with Eli at quarterback, they have to be perfect. Mm. They have Their backs are totally up against the wall. If there's any pressure, if one guy gets beat, that's it. Because Eli's not going anywhere. He's not stepping up in the pocket. He's getting to the spot where he dropped back to. He's not going to let the ball loose and beat anyone over the top. So just play zone, protect. The line's not good enough to where you have to send any blitz packages or anything crazy like that. Four-man rush, five-man rush. Line's not great, but... If, if you can put the pressure onto Eli, he's going to feel it, and you're not going to get beat, especially if you have defensive backs in zone just preventing the big play and preventing guys like Saquon and Odell from making those plays. Are they going to make them sometimes? Yeah, but they're limiting them, and that's why the Giants haven't been able to pick up wins. And when you have tools like Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham, two of the best at their position in the entire league, it's frustrating, uh, I'm sure, as a Giants fan, to just watch those guys not play to their full potential a lot of the times because – teams can play it safe in terms of preparing for Eli and they would not prepare the same way for even a guy like Matt Ryan a little bit more dynamic or I've heard Derek Carr's name throw thrown mm-hmm. out a few times mm-hmm. as a potential trade option for the Giants to get I don't think they'll do that by any means I, I don't think that too I want yeah. them too so bad I think it'd be a good move because I'm really yeah. high on Carr Me but too. For, for a few reasons uh, that why it won't happen I don't think the Raiders are ready to tank Gruden mm-hmm. gave this sort of rant on, well, we're not tanking, we're not up at 4 a.m. to, uh, to tank. So I, I don't see them admitting that they're in rebuild mode anytime soon. And also, I just think the Giants have this, uh, Giants ownership, may, maybe not the coach, maybe not uh, management, but ownership still has this sort of faith, unrealistic faith in Eli that eventually I think they're going to come to their senses and, and get somebody in there. But right now I still think they're sticking with Eli, not going to bench him for uh, – I mean, there's no Geno Smith this year, but yeah. for someone like that. Loletta, I mean, Kyle Loletta out of Richmond yeah. is their only option, and he hasn't even been dressed. You know, they've had Alex Tanney, who's uh, more or less a journeyman who's never really been a starter in the league, so they don't really have anyone that's capable behind him yet, as far as we know. Loletta could be good. We don't know. But a third-round pick out of an FCS school, very much a work in progress. But I, I, I like that point you brought up with, with the ownership because I think the Giants have made a lot of decisions in respect to protecting Eli and making sure that that he's not going to be thrown under the bus. I think they hired Dave Gettleman because he really liked Eli, and he was with the Giants. He was familiar with them, and he liked Eli. He still thought he saw something in Eli. I think part of hiring Pat Shermer was because he was 
high on Eli, and he still says he is. I don't think he is, <laughs> but um, you know, I, and I think that's just poor decision making by the Maras in that in that way. Um, but you know, he's the quarterback. You're going to have to work with what you got, and that's what it's going to be for 2018, regardless of if you want Justin Herbert out of Oregon or Derek Carr or wherever it may be. But they're going to have to live with Eli for now, and it, it's it's a tough life just because everyone else has to be perfect and then some, you know, and then there's still not a guaranteed victory because you have another team on the other side. So there's just a lot of factors coming into play for why the Giants have not been successful over the past year and a half. Do you think the Giants being one in five is a reflection of Pat Shermer as a head coach, or do you Mm -hmm. think it's more the team in general? Because I mean, last year with Ben McAdoo, I I hate to say, but they had a slightly better record than they do this year. So do you think it's a coach problem or a team problem? I'm going to go with team overall. I I think, and look, I think this is sort of a cop-out answer, but Shermer's part of that team, you know, mm-hmm. but but I think it's more the personnel and the team on the field. And a lot of it just bad luck. I mean, what was the game against Carolina? They lose on a 63-yard field goal or something like that. That's, that's bad luck. They could have won a number of those games, but I think if they have performances like they did last week, then it's going to come into question the effort of the team, uh, just scheming is is bad, and and Shermer's going to be, I think, under fire for that if if they aren't close games that they're losing. I, I have a weird question. You know how they say football is like a chess match? Okay. You ever see the Harry Potter scene? I don't remember which movie it's from. When they have the chess match, gigantic chess pieces. Yes, like yeah, yes. it's the first movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. the first movie. So you're almost i mean each coach is like the chess player right and you're putting your pieces in the best position to win but on top of that chess match it also comes down to whether or not those pieces are any good so it's like you're putting your piece in like a one-on-one position to you would hope succeed but Shermer's most important pieces are not getting the job done you know his what's the front row called the pawns. The pawns. The, the offensive pawns. line. Not getting the job done. Yeah. His most important piece is King is not getting the job done. It's not the it's not it's not at the quality that it should be in order for that all those pieces to be successful. And then you have your rooks and Odell and Saquon that are really versatile and can do a lot of things. But if you ha- I mean it's football, it's not chess. But if your king is not doing the right things to get those rooks into the position to succeed. I'm just rambling right now, but if they're not oh, getting like them in the position to metaphor. succeed, it's not going to work out. So it's like, but back to your question, Shermer's doing as best as he can, and I don't think he's doing a bad job. But I, I really think it comes back down to onto Eli, and there's other pieces that aren't getting the job done, yes. But again, I think it comes down onto Eli, and I think we haven't seen what Shermer can actually do. Um, it's not he can't even get creative. You know he's got to check the ball down. He's got to go short, short routes and and get the ball to Saquon in ways that doesn't necessarily mean handing it out, handing it off thirty five times. You got to get creative, and I think he's he's trying. He really is, but I I, I don't think it's his fault. Um, to answer your question simply, so I think it's more on Eli than anyone else. Um, for the Giants, I do think Shermer's temperament could be better than uh-huh. it's been so far. Lashing out at reporters post game—that's just not in in a New York market. If you're the head coach, you can't be doing that. McAdoo, we saw last year, got a little perturbed, and I don't remember him having any like epic rants that would be be like all time rant category. He but... looked like he was being picked on more than anything else. McAdoo. Yeah, and Shermer won't let that happen. Exactly, but it kind of comes across as like paranoid or uh just 
I don't even know. It, he's perturbed, yeah. and he's letting it show, and you can't let that show. I think as much as, just look going back to the Jets for a second, mm-hmm. as much as people say Bowles may not have a pulse, you know, he's uh, his temperament is good. He's never frazzled after a loss. Maybe he may, might be a little bit disappointed, but I think that's that's what you got to look for in a New York coach. And quickly before we end this, this giant segment, it wouldn't be a giant segment if we didn't touch on Odell's uh, off-the-field antics or, or – Last week, going into the locker room a little bit early, said it was for an IV treatment, and then later this week, you touched on Mara. He he then comes out, and I don't know what the exact quote was about Odell, but pretty much saying that he needs to be a little bit better, just give, giving Odell a thumbs down to the public. So I guess my final question for you guys is, is that cool of Mara to say, or should he have not said anything at all? I feel strongly one way about this, but I want to see what your guys' take is on it. I don't have a problem with what he said. And I, I alluded to it in the report. I just have a problem with when he said it. Mm. It's too late. It's too late. Odell is doing whatever he wants. He's already run all over yeah. you. <laughs> you know how they say with a teacher like, or a position of authority, you have to lay your foot down to start. Like You have Early. to be kind of, a, yeah. kind of mean to start off with. Because if you're not, then they're going to run all over you for the entire year. It sets a bad precedent because the precedent that you set from the beginning will naturally kind of fade. People will get into their comfort zones and... And do what they need to do, whether it's going out past curfew or taking pictures in the wrong places like he's done so many times. But for for Mara, I don't have a problem with what he said. I just think this is too late. This should have been said three years ago when he or whenever it was when there was the picture in the hotel room with that was a mess. The boat was a mess. You have to comment on those things now. You have to comment on those things then. Now it's too late. You paid the guy. He's already running all of you. He's making a fool of you. I don't know if you saw Odell Beckham's dad posted a thing on Instagram of the video of John Mara like throwing the chair, <laughs> like flipping out, and it's just a bad look when your family is then coming after him. I think Mara let him run all over him, and now it's too late. So, like I said, don't have a problem with it. Have a problem with the timing. I don't know if Mara should have said something that everyone saw. I think maybe he should have pulled him aside. And maybe he did. I mean, we don't know if he pulled him aside and said, like, you know, you have to stop acting like this. And then Odell just kept doing it. Um, I do agree with what you said. It is too late to say anything because, like you said, we the, the Giants did pay him and he is going to do whatever he wants now. But if Mara calling him out is what Odell needed to kind of get his act together then I completely agree with it. I mean, we're going to have to see what happens in the coming weeks, but if this stops happening and if he starts acting more like a team player, I think it was a good call by Mara. I want to know what you think. Yeah, I'm more on the the Odell side here, but I I think generally it's it's just things like this should be kept on in the confines of the team locker room or within the organization. Shoot him a text or have a private meeting with him. However, you want to get the message across, and that goes for Odell too. I mean, I had a real problem with him calling out Eli in that interview with Lil Wayne a few few weeks ago on NFL Countdown. It was just so bizarre to me the whole thing. But then to to call out your quarterback right after you get paid, the whole thing didn't make sense to me. I just think for the Giants as a whole, I know it can be tough when you're in New York and it seems like the whole city is burning when you're one and five. But you gotta work things out behind closed doors and not show the rest of the world how dysfunctional your organization is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not ruling out that that's happened before, but if it has, it hasn't been effective, Mm. you know? So, but at the same time, I have a hard time believing that it hasn't been effective for five years, you know? So if those conversations have happened, which I doubt, um, 
I think Odell would have been gone at this point if he continues to act the way he has had those conversations happen. So I'm on board with you in that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, and then the I don't know if you saw the full interview, either of you, the, the Odell Lil Wayne interview. No, I didn't see that. They did Odell dirty on the on the NFL Live. Like, it was like an hour, and, like, he was actually getting asked some stuff. But, like, in the actual interview, they were like, why would we show anything with Lil Wayne talking? You know, like, it just made sense for them not to show that on ESPN. Mm. But, like, in the, in the TV interview, he was just sitting there, basically. But they actually did talk to him. Yeah, anyway. b- bizarre setup, yeah. but uh, interesting, and that that's one of the reasons I love Odell's. You, you never know what you're getting. As a fan who's maybe not too invested in the Giants, but more just a fan of the NFL, he's definitely good for the NFL and inter- entertainment purposes, and we'll see if, uh, like Artemis suggested, maybe it lights a fire under Odell and he, he starts playing better, but he, he'll need a, a legit quarterback to get him the ball too, so there are a lot of issues there, and uh, we'll see what, what our picks are for that game and our picks for the rest of the league in our pick'em segment coming up. But first, it's time for our last fantasy hit. Check out the sleepers this week with John DeBarrow. Nailing sleeper picks is a surefire way to get your team a victory. Here are some players that fantasy owners are currently overlooking. Eli Manning may be the subject of a lot of criticism for his play of late, and rightly so, as you just heard. But don't let that scare you off from starting him this week against the Falcons' defense that has given up the second-most fantasy points to quarterbacks this season. In a week with Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Ben Roethlisberger all on by, you can do a lot worse than Eli as a last-minute substitute, who can lean on his elite playmakers for production. Staying with the Giants-Falcons matchup, Atlanta running back Ito Smith is set to take on a bigger workload in the wake of Devontae Freeman's absence from the backfield. Smith is out, performs backfield mate Tevin Coleman, and should feast on a Giants unit ranked in the bottom third in the league in run defense. And the Bears host the Patriots this weekend in a game where New England will try to force Chicago to beat them with the passing game. Bears receiver Taylor Gabriel stands to benefit from this scenario, as he's caught all 12 of his targets in the past two games, while averaging almost 18 yards per reception. Count on some big plays from Gabriel in what should be a high-scoring game. And those are some fantasy sleepers that will give you the edge in Week 7. All right, so now it's time for Pick'em, and John will be in on this segment too. Jimmy will also be picking, but he won't He won't have his mic on, so maybe I'll, I'll let let the audience know what who Jimmy picks. You want to do that live? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. No, no on that, but yeah, let's, let's get Pick'em started. Um, first game, Titans at Chargers. That one's from Wembley Stadium in London. Still don't understand why why they're doing it at Wembley. I don't know how many years we are into into this. Yeah, um, Titans Chargers, England. You really have no idea with those games. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go with the Chargers. Yeah, I'm also gonna go with the Chargers. And like you guys said, I don't know why they're still doing games in England, but uh, I think the Chargers. I don't hate on the London games. I like a little 9.30 football in the morning. I'll definitely be watching this game. And I think the Chargers are really good. It's just like the losers playing in a bad division. But I like the Chargers as well. That I agree with. Not football right when I wake up. I, I can't argue with that. I'll go Chargers. But just an interesting side note on the London games. I always find it's interesting. The fans are so confused there. You'll see them wearing like... Uh, Joe Montana jerseys yeah, in the crowd yeah, yeah. to a game the Niners aren't playing. They just have no idea. Anything football they related. They love they're the gonna... Jags yeah. because they go like every year. They, <laughs> they all have Jaguars there. jerseys. <laughs> That's hysterical. Uh, Pats, Bears, I'm going to go 
Patriots, even though I think it's going to be a close game. That one's in Chicago. I'm with you. Pats in a close one. Yeah, Pats are definitely, I mean, I didn't expect them to be 4-2 at this point in the season, but they're back, Edelman's back, the Patriots. If Khalil Mack was a full go, I might consider going with the Bears, but I don't think they're good enough to beat the Patriots yet. So now we got Bills at Colts, two teams that have struggled so far. I'm going to go with the Bills in a bit of an upset. I like how the defense is playing. I like Andrew Luck. I, I think he'll carry him over Colts. I think I'm going to go with the Bills. I don't know if the Colts will be able to deliver. I mean, they are 1-5, in five, so I'm going to stick with the Bills. The Colts are home against Derek Anderson. I haven't seen Derek Anderson play in years, so I'm going to go with the Colts. Lions at Dolphins. Dolphins in a little bit of a slide, but I think they'll get it together and win at home. Yeah, weird matchup. I'll go with the Dolphins. Yeah, I'm also going to go with the Dolphins, especially if they're at home. I think they'll be able to pull it together. Yeah, the Dolphins are strangely really good at home. I don't know what it is about that stadium. It must be the heat, so I'll go Hard with the rock, Dolphins baby. as well. No one, no one shows up, but Hard they'll, they'll win. <laughs> Vikings at Jets. We talked a lot about this one. I already gave my pick. Going Jets in a close one. I'll go Vikes. I'm really torn on this one, but I think I'm going to say the Vikings. Yeah, I'll go with Minnesota. I think the urgency is there for them to really get their act together. Panthers at Eagles. This one's tough. Uh... I think the Eagles, I think they've turned the corner now and are back into form like end of last year. I've never been sold on the Eagles. I wasn't sold on them all of the playoffs. I think I picked them to lose every round <laughs> that they put in the playoffs. And I still picked them to lose. I picked the Giants to beat them. Why do I do this? Panthers, baby. Wow. Let's go. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I, if you're asking me which team is better, I think I would say the Panthers, but the Eagles are at home, and I do think that they're going to win this week for some reason. I just, I'm going to go with the Eagles. Is this the third straight NFC East game for the Panthers? I think they played the Redskins, and then they yeah. played... Sounds yeah. right. And they, they haven't been playing well against them, so uh, I'm going to go with the Eagles again if they can't take care of business against the worst NFC East teams. All right, Browns at Bucks. I like the Browns here. They've, they've surprised me this year. To I like the Browns to get the 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll go with the Browns. I like the way they've been playing. I'm so scared to pick the Browns, especially after last year, but they aren't the team they were last year, and I do think they're going to win this week, so Browns. I'll go the Buccaneers at home. Texans at Jags, two teams moving in opposite directions. I think the Jags, with their new addition to Carlos Hyde at running back, not sure if he'll be active, but I'd assume so. I think he has a big game, and the Jags get the win at home. I'm sorry, who, what is this game? T Texans-Jags. <laughs> um, in Jacksonville. In Jacksonville. Uh, I'll go Jacksonville. I'm also gonna go Jacksonville. I just, I just, they're just a better team. Get the sense that they're kind of scrambling right now, but I'm gonna. If this was in Houston, I'd go with the Texans. But since the Jags are at home, I'll go with the home team. Saints at Ravens. The Ravens have been super impressive this year. I'm a big Joe Flacco hater. I'm gonna continue to hate one more week. I'll go Saints. This is this is in Baltimore. I'm gonna go Baltimore. I like the way they've been playing. I think they have a really solid defense. Um, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a fun game. This, this is another good one. This is probably the second or third game I'd circle on the calendar this week. Yeah, this is a pretty good game, too. Even though the Ravens are home, though, I'm going to say the Saints are going to beat them. Yeah, I'm going to go with New Orleans as well. I feel like they're kind of flying under the radar, kind of because they had a bye last week and the week before is all about Drew Brees, but they may be the best team in the NFL, kind of flying under the radar. I'm going to go with New Orleans. I agree. Very quiet 4-1 for the Saints. Rams at Niners. This one looks like lock of the week, and I think it'll be closer than expected. 
The Niners looked good last week against Green Bay, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Rams to stay undefeated. This is your survivor pool lock. <laughs> go with the Rams. Yeah, especially since the Rams are still undefeated, I, I have to go with them. Going with San Fran. I liked what I saw out of them uh, wow. in Green Bay last week. I think it's a trap game for uh, L.A. Cowboys at Redskins. Cowboys looked good last week against the Jags, I believe. Give me the Cowboys again. They got to be bringing Conor McGregor back, right? They got to. <laughs> they had that Pre-game swagger hype. last week. Yeah. Maybe they'll have Skip Bayless or something like that <laughs> to hype them up. Um, I'm going to go Washington. This is this is the game that I have as my game of the week, especially since they're playing for first. It's going to get ugly. Uh, Washington's home, though, so I'm going to say Washington. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the Skins as well. I don't think Dak Prescott and that offense will ever score over 40 ever again, as long as he's starting. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Washington. <laughs> Bengals at Chiefs Sunday night. I'm going to ride with my guy Mahomes to get the Chiefs to 6-1. and one. Yeah, I'm going to go with it. I love Mahomes. I love the way he's been playing. Such an exciting team. In my eyes, the most exciting team in football this year. I'll go with Kansas City. Like I said before, I do think the Chiefs are going to go downhill at some point this season. I don't think that's going to be this week, so I'm definitely going to take the Chiefs over the Bengals. Yeah, I'm going the Chiefs as well. I'm going to be looking out for that Bengals defense, which I think is worse than people think. I think they'll be exposed Sunday night. And then finally, Monday night, Giants at Falcons. If the Cowboys have McGregor to come out, I say the Giants bring out my man Khabib wrestling Bears pregame for for a pep talk in Russian. Um, I'll go Giants on the road to get the win. Yeah, I'm going to go Giants. Saquon Barkley, big game. They've got Evan Ingram back. They've got Olivier Vernon back to bring some pressure onto Matt Ryan. I'm going to say Giants in an ugly one. Yeah, I'm also going to say that the Giants are going to win this one. I mean, surprise, I've picked the Giants almost every week. But, um... Atlanta is also the seventh most penalized team in the NFL, so with the refs being as hard as they've been this year, I don't think that's going to work for them, so I'm going to go with the Giants. I'm going to bank on that this Giants team has quit on this season before this Falcons team has, so I'm going to go with the home team, Atlanta. So that'll do it for our pick segment, and that'll do it for Week 7 of NFL Friday. Big shout-out to Jimmy Sullivan producing behind the glass. For David Spampanato, Artemis Segaris, John DeBarrow, I'm Vinny DeBellis. Make sure to tune in next week. Thanks for listening. This has been NFL Friday.